1 Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9. I'm going to reread those. You can turn in your Bibles or look on the screen. It's always good to use your Bible, get that exercise. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And so Peter's reminding us here that we do have an adversary. Our number one adversary is the devil. And again, we, we tend to have this problem in the church that people either go one extreme or the other. There are some who just ign ignore him, deny him. Some would even deny his existence. But you'd have a hard time really believing in the scriptures as the true word of God because the scriptures have a great deal to say about him. Then there's the other extreme where people are just obsessed with him all the time. They want to blame every problem on him. I've been exposed to a group in the past. I was not a part of the group, but I've had family members that were. I won't name the group. You might recognize the name. But the first thing that would happen when any new person came into their church they would immediately take them off somewhere to, a, somewhere to a private room or maybe not a private room and attempt to cast demons out of them. That can be very traumatic for a visitor. <laughs> that can be traumatic for a regular attendee. And just to assume that everybody who walks through the door has a demon is somewhat ridiculous. And so the balance lies in the middle where we don't, give the devil too much airtime, too much credit, and at the same time we don't ignore him because the worst thing you can do when you have an adversary, an enemy, is to ignore him. So while he's plotting and scheming against you, you're tiptoeing through the tulips and you're not aware, as this passage tells us, to be sober, be vigilant, be serious, be vigilant, be, be aware, be attentive, be on your guard and resist him. And so we finished halfway through verse 9 last Sunday, and we'll continue on today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word as always. And we thank you that you've given everything we need to be fully equipped as men and women of God, uh, walking victoriously in your kingdom, in this life, as we look forward to spending eternity with you. We know there's a, there is a road ahead of us that must be traveled before we see you face to face. For some, it may be sooner than others, but whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now or however long it might be, we are told, we are commanded, Lord, by you to occupy till you come, not just to hunker down, hide out, try to remain incognito, but we are here to occupy until you come. So we ask you to bless this study now in Jesus' name, amen. So resist him. This is where we left off last week. And for a little further insight on that, we went to James chapter 4, verse 7. James says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there is a, there's a definite order and sequence here. The very first thing we must do if we hope to live a victorious Christian life and be shielded from the attacks of the enemy is to submit to God. We talked about it in depth last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you to Either check it out online at calvarychapelise.com. Go to media 
and you'll find the latest sermons, I trust. We also, you can get a CD or DVD over in the books, uh, the cafe, cafe area. But this is important study, I believe. So submit to God and then resist the devil. See, the devil is, I wrote a song years ago. In fact, it's on a little black CD in the back. It's two songs. One is my, uh, Baby Boy, my Christmas song. And the other one is also a Christmas song, but it's, it's the Santa Claus song. And the lyrics go, the devil is a lot like Santa Claus. And it goes on to tell you all the reasons why the devil is a lot like Santa Claus. And just like Santa Claus, he knows if, if you've been sleeping, he knows if you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good. He knows what's going on. And if you try to resist him and you're not in right relationship with God, hence the roaring lion, he's going to chew you up and spit you out. So submission to God. That means you have dedicated yourself and committed to doing his will in your life. What did Jesus pray in the garden? Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. That is true submission to God. A lot of people think, well, I, you know, I invited Christ into my life. That's what uh, Rick Warren told me I needed to do. Just ask Jesus into my heart and everything would be hunky-dory. Well, first of all, you don't just ask Jesus into your heart. You confess your sins before him. And we've all got plenty of those, right? Gee, Lord, I, I just can't come up with anything right now. Shouldn't be too hard. So we confess our sins. We repent, which means to turn and go the other way. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That is submission to God. A lot of people seem to think once you make a profession of faith in Christ, it's his job to follow you around and do what you want him to do. It doesn't work that way. It's the opposite. So once we've submitted, then we have his full covering, protection, and we have his authority. And yet, as we saw last week, even the archangel Michael did not say, I rebuke you, Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, if the archangel Michael needs to say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, then what do you think we ought to say? You think we're stronger than the Archangel Michael? I don't think so. Again, we don't want to take the devil too lightly, and we don't want to give him too much credit, because as we will see this morning, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Submit to God, resist the devil, and then this is a promise. It doesn't say he might flee from you. Hopefully he'll flee from you. It says he will flee from you. So again, that's where the truth of God's word overrides our emotions and our feelings. We stand upon the truth. We don't stand upon our own emotions and feelings. The truth is, if you submit your life to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And as we talked about last week, it's highly unlikely that you or I have ever had any kind of a personal encounter with Satan himself. He's too busy messing with world leaders, political, monetary, religious. Read the screw tape letters. I told you last week, C.S. Lewis, classic. If you want to see how the devil operates. He's got his legions, his minions, his principalities and powers dispersed all over the world. And they communicate. 
they live in a different dimension than you and I, and they have that ability, it would appear to communicate, networking, if you will. The devil is not omnipresent. He does not possess the qualities and powers of God. He's very powerful, but he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. And he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But he's still a force to be reckoned with. I told you last week that I would give you what I believe are three of our most powerful weapons in rebuffing Satan. We've already kind of talked about it, alluded to it, but now we're going to nail these down. One, the truth of God's Word. And as my good friend Brian Davis likes to point out, not just the written Word, the Scriptures, although they are inspired, this is a supernatural book, and the Word of God is a powerful weapon against the forces of darkness. But in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. This holy scriptures that we study to show us ourselves approved, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, they are the embodiment of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the truth of God's word, both the scriptures and Jesus, who is the word, what did he say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 4, 8 through 11. We talked about this last week. This is a bit of recap. Of course, this is the third of three times that Satan attempts to test Jesus or tempt Jesus. Matthew 4, right at the end of his 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, fasting seeking God, preparing for the beginning of his public ministry, Satan comes to him to tempt him. And each time, Jesus uses the scriptures from the Old Testament, because there wasn't any New Testament yet. He uses the scriptures to rebuff Satan. As I said last week, the devil could probably very effectively argue against you and I because we are imperfect people. We are sinners. And again, me mentioned the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts who tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons. They had no personal relationship with Jesus. And when they tried to invoke the name of Jesus to cast the demons, the demons beat them to a pulp. It's not a magic wand or a magic formula. It's a relationship. And so, again, the third time, the devil took him, Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Shut up, Satan. I'm the Son of God. Don't you know who I am? No, he didn't say that. He said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. Now, if even the very Son of God, who is the embodiment of the Word, believed that the best way to resist the devil or to rebuff him would be to quote from the Word of God. Don't you think we ought to do that too? Jesus is our mentor, our role model, our example. And I would suspect that it was for our benefit that Jesus handled this the way that he did. I don't really believe Jesus, being who he is, needed to quote Scripture to Satan to get rid of him. Do you? He's all-powerful. He is God. He could have dispatched the devil in an instant. 
I believe that he did this to set an example for us. Just like in the previous chapter, Matthew 3, he got baptized. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Absolutely not. He did it. As an example, he told John the Baptist, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to set an example, to show people the right way. Same thing here. I believe Jesus rebuffed the devil three times with the scriptures, the written word of God, to show you and I how to do it. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See how easily we can solve these issues with the word of God? What if the word of God didn't say this, what Jesus just quoted from the Old Testament? You shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. That settles it. How does the devil argue with that? Plain and simple. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And I believe the same thing happens for you and I. When we're in a battle, when we're in a struggle with the forces of darkness, and we're handling it properly the way the scriptures have been showing us here the past couple weeks, that it can be very draining. How many of you know that? These spiritual, mental, emotional struggles can be extremely draining, exhausting. Right? It affects your physical body. But I believe God does send His holy angels to minister to us as we persevere through these struggles. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 says. All God's angels are ministering spirits sent forth to watch over or protect those who are the heirs of salvation. Yes, there really are guardian angels. Jude 1.9. I already quoted it. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a railing accusation but said... The Lord rebuke you. And I'll never forget, years ago, I heard Pastor Chuck Smith say this. Now, in some Calvary chapels, it's no longer to quote Pastor Chuck Smith. But he is our founder. He is our pastor. He is our mentor. Without him, there would be no Calvary chapels. He's a very wise man. He's with the Lord now. But I remember hearing him say years ago, I like to keep the Lord between me and the devil. Do you like that? The Lord rebuke you. 1 John 4, beginning verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And the early Gnostics taught that Jesus wasn't a man of flesh and blood, flesh and bone. He was a, merely a spirit, a specter, a phantom, heresy. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. There are still foolish people in the world today that try to claim Jesus was never really a real person. Well, you know what? If Jesus wasn't a real person, then neither was George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander the Great, or anybody else, because there is more documentation to prove the historical evidence of a real Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth 2,000 years ago than there is to prove the existence of these other people. Did you know that? So that's foolish. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Not the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist, that Antichrist 
mentality, attitude. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, those antichrists. And anybody who sets himself up as the enemy of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, has the spirit of antichrist. You've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 1 John 2. A lot of scriptures today might surprise some people because I was accused not long ago of not having enough scripture in my messages. If I had any more scripture in my messages, we would just be reading straight out of the Bible and I wouldn't be saying a word. But anyway, I'm not offended. 1 John 2.18 Dear children, this is the last hour. Now John said that 2,000 years ago. Was John a fruit loop? Was John a crackpot? And people will say, well, really, John? This is the last hour? Then why are we still here 2,000 years later? All I can say is hold on to your yarmulkes because it won't be much longer. Yep. Hold on to your burkas, baby. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even now, many antichrists have come. Yeah, they were killing Christians like crazy in the first century, and it's happened every century since. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What is John talking about? He's talking about people who came into the church gave every appearance of being believers, but departed, either literally, physically departed, or they departed from the true faith. The Bible clearly teaches in the last days there'll be a great apostasy, a great falling away. So keep this in mind next time you think about bailing out on the church of God. There's a lot of people out there that think, I don't need church. Well, in a moment, we're going to talk even more about why you do. And it's not because you're trying to earn brownie points with God or impress the pastor. But hold that thought. They went out from us. They weren't really of us. You see, if somebody makes a profession of faith, but then 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, they start saying, well, I, I, as I've grown older and I've matured more, I realize that many parts of the Bible are simply allegorical. I now realize that things, the virgin birth, is, it's not really true. These, you know what I'm talking about? They start to move away from the cardinal beliefs of Christianity. That's a departing. That's a falling away. People think, oh no, we're postmodern now. We've got to catch up with the times. If we want to reach this world, we're going to have to soften our message. Well, if you begin to abandon the truths of God's word and you're reaching people, what are you reaching them with or for? You're not reaching them with the true gospel. You might be filling up your church. You might be able to build these huge, amazing structures and impress everybody. Have your own TV station, your own radio stations, all the above. I'm not saying it's all bad. Thank God for Christian TV, Christian radio, all of it. But the deception is, as long as the house is full and the bigger the better, you must be doing the right thing. 
Well, the last time I checked, there weren't a lot of supporters and cheerleaders at the foot of the cross. In fact, the people standing there, most of them mocked Jesus and viewed him as the ultimate failure. Get it? We are living in this time that John spoke of. They went out from us, but they were not of us. And they don't have to physically walk out the door to not be of us. All they have to do is embrace all the garbage the devil is throwing at us. He is the prince of this world. And every day, more and more people, including so-called believers, are giving in to deceptions and lies of the enemy. And they will tell you that if you don't go along with it, you're a hater. You're a terrorist. If you don't accept how many genders? Who was telling me the other day? Was that you? 130-something. That's mental illness. Actually, anything beyond two is mental illness. But someone recently said they've come up somehow with like 138 different gender possibilities. You might as well just go lay in the water and be an amoeba. <laughs> Give it up. Give up even calling yourself a human being. Because human beings were created in the image of God. He created them male and female. And together we form a complete image of God, the unity, the oneness, the wholeness, and the intimacy. There he goes again. Again, I hate no one. I trust that you don't either. But we've heard it so many times. The longer you've been a Christian, probably the more times you've heard it. God calls us to love the sinner, but we also must hate the sin because sin destroys. Sin kills. If you really love someone, you would want to try to help get them out of their sin so that they aren't killed and they aren't destroyed and they don't spend eternity in the fires down below. That's real love. Fake love, oh, I understand, you were born that way, it's genetic, you're a product of your environment, blah, 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 blah. I don't judge you, no, I don't judge you, but we have to look at the Word of God and see what it says. That's our guiding light. You're in the darkness, do you want to come out of the darkness into the light? What James Dobson years ago coined the term tough love, wrote a book about it. Love must be tough. The world is deceived into thinking that love is a bunch of mush and ooh and goo and compromise. Uh, just a big gray mass. No dark, no light, no right, no wrong, no universal truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. He, she over here has their truth. I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings or mock them. But when you live in a world that is going completely insane and people's mentality is getting more and more irrational and illogical, there has to be 
some discussion about that. Even Forrest Gump knew. Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> right? Okay. Last verse, 20 of 1 John 2. The verse before, if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And we've also heard many stories of people. I've, when I was in high school, I was in a play senior year, and a young lady that played opposite me was, I think, a year younger. I was a senior. She was a junior, but she was a Mormon. I was real involved in my Baptist church youth group, and I made a deal with her. If you'll come to church with me, I'll go to yours. It was a horrible experience, I have to tell you, for me and for her because she was in total deception and I had to go and sit amongst that deception for a couple hours. But the point is her mother, who had converted to Mormonism, had previously been a Baptist. And we see this kind of stuff all the time, people departing from the, the true faith to join this cult or that cult or and even... Atheism, agnosticism, Darwinism, those are cults as well. But you, John says, you true believers, you little children, you little lambs, you children of God, the body of Christ, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And that word has been abused so much. Benny Hens talked about the anointing and for him it's knocking people over with his sport coat. There are many false anointings out there but you know the most important anointing and one that I can guarantee you for certain is true is this anointing from the Holy One and here's what it is. All of you know the truth. The anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern truth from lies, from deception. Satan is the father of all what? Lies. He's the great deceiver. He is the accuser of the brethren. But the good news is God gives us an anointing from the Holy Spirit. This is the most important anointing you can have as a believer. To discern that which is true and that which is false, that which is a lie, that which is a deception. This enables us to resist the devil as his number one strategy involves lying and deceiving. If you don't have this weapon in your arsenal, this anointing to be able to tell the difference between that which is true and that which is false, you're going to be susceptible and vulnerable to the lies and deceptions of Satan. And we could go round and round. We've talked about this before. Arminianism, you can lose your salvation. Calvinism, you can't lose it. But what do you do when someone falls into this category? They went out from us. They, they were not of us because they left. They went out. They departed from the true faith. They became vulnerable and susceptible. And it could still be a group that's with under the umbrella of Christianity, I mean, there's the Jesus-only crowd out there. They deny the Trinity. There are many false doctrines within churches 
that most people would consider part of the universal body of Christ. But if they deny any one of the cardinal elements of the Christian faith, then they aren't the true faith. If they deny the virgin birth, if they deny the sinless, perfect life that Christ lived here on earth, it's the only way he qualified to be our Savior. And yet now they say 33% of uh, so-called Christians believe that Jesus sinned. Then you might as well leave. And they are. Some of them are. 50% believe there are other pathways to heaven other than Jesus. But then what happens is people start to ask questions like, why did they do that? Why did they depart? Why did they fall for that deception? And then see, sometimes other people will follow after them, which is a sad thing. But you ask, well, did, okay, so now are they lost? Did they lose their salvation? Or if you're an Arminianist, <laughs> if you're a Calvinist, then you would say, well, they weren't ever really saved. I'm not sure it makes that much difference. If you're gone, you're gone. The goal is to not be gone. The goal is to not fall away. It's to not depart from the faith. And these are the to tools that we're talking about here to resist the devil and ultimately to stand firm in our faith. Okay, that's the first one. The truth of God's Word. Number two, prayer. We all know a lot of people only pray when they're in trouble. Right? But what is meant here is by it's staying in constant communication with the commander-in-chief. We not only receive wisdom, guidance, direction, discernment, we have constant access to reinforcements. Father, station your angels all around my house. You ever prayed that prayer? Around my car, around this church. We have access to wisdom, guidance, direction, discernment, and reinforcements. And one of the best prayers to pray in that situation is, Help! God knows His own. My sheep know my voice, and I know them. Luke eleven thirteen. If you... Being evil, do you notice it? <laughs> Jesus calls us evil. Well, that's not very nice. I've spent my whole life trying to build up my self-esteem, and now Jesus tells me I'm evil? What kind of a God is that? A holy, just, and righteous God. A perfect God telling imperfect people, if you being evil, in me dwells no good thing, except when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of me. And then I'm clothed in His righteousness, not mine. Without His, without His righteousness, we are cold, wretched, naked, and blind, as He tells the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Without His robes of righteousness, we are cold, wretched, naked, and blind. Get it? That's why so much of this fake, phony teaching in the church today is so harmful. You don't need to be told how wonderful you are. You need to be told how wretched you are. And that goes for me too. Because what's the first step here we're talking about? Submit yourselves to God. And if you think you're it on a stick, <laughs> frozen banana, whatever, <laughs> lollipop, I think there is a less 
palatable version. But I, well, I wasn't thinking of that. You have dirty minds. If you think that you're, you're doing God a favor by getting saved, you've got a problem. Jesus says, you, though you being evil, you're imperfect. You're a sinner. But even you, as a flawed, imperfect human being, know how to give good gifts to your children. In fact, sometimes the most rotten, horrible fathers and mothers in the world give some of the best gifts because <laughs> they're trying to pay off their kids, right? How much more will your heavenly father give who, a new car? New house? Hawaiian vacation? No. That's what a lot of people would hope for or ask for, right? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Prayer. You, you might be thinking, well, you're telling me that I, I need that anointing. I need that discernment so I can distinguish between truth and lies. When I can distinguish and discern what the enemy is trying to do here. You need the Holy Spirit. What does God's Word say? If you want His Spirit, all you got to do is ask. When's the last time you prayed and said, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the strength I need to live this day for you. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom... Go to the library. Turn on CNN. Oh, no. Fake news. Let him ask of God, who gives to all, all of his children, liberally and without reproach. God's never going to say, you dummy, what do you have to ask me for? Can't you figure it out for yourself? You may have heard that somewhere from someone, but you won't hear it from God. He gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we have two wonderful promises here. One, ask God for his Holy Spirit. He'll give it to you. Two, ask him for wisdom. He'll give it to you. The third one, this might surprise you a little bit, maybe not. Worship. Why? First of all, it blesses the heart of God. I believe it enhances our intimacy with Him when we worship Him, praise Him, whether it's in a corporate setting, alone, by yourself, in your car, in your bedroom, wherever it is. The enemy recoils and retreats at the sound of the saints engaging in worship, singing, praying, praising, exalting of Almighty God. He hates it more than anything. One example from the scriptures. A couple, really. 1 Samuel 6, 14. Saul disobeyed God. He was supposed to kill off. I always get these ites mixed up. Amorites, Carl? Which ite was it? Agagites? Malachites. It's one of those ites. I knew that. Got to watch out for ites. He disobeyed God. He didn't utterly destroy them. He let the king live. He was supposed to kill off all the livestock, everything. It was as a sacrifice or an offering to God. 
for the abomination of these pagan people. And they tried to justify it. Oh, I was saving these animals to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. No, you were supposed to kill them immediately when you went in and conquered the enemy. And that was the sacrifice. He was covering up for his own greed. Wanting to keep all the spoils of war. When God said, no, destroy it all. Because it's an abomination to me. So what happened? The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And so that would be a case where maybe you blame the devil. None of God's angels are evil, but God has ultimate authority over everything and everybody. And he personally dispatched an evil spirit to torment Saul. Graphic example of what can happen to someone who disobeys God, rebels, does not submit to him, and thereby is able to resist the devil, but somebody who thinks he knows better than God and can do it his own way. And I will guarantee you there are a multitude of people all around us having very serious problems. And if you were really to investigate it and explore it, you would find out that that's exactly what they did. We ascribe it to all other kinds of things. PTSD and on down the line. That's a real thing, particularly for people who go to war. Now, if you go out your front door and step into traffic, you can claim you've got PTSD. It is a rather traumatic world today, isn't it? So, Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit from the Lord, terrorizing him. And we go down to verse 23. What they did was, they knew this instinctively. What do you do when somebody's being harassed by an evil spirit? You bring in somebody who knows how to worship God. So they sent for David. It came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And I'm sure he also sang because he wrote so many of the Psalms. Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Why? Because Saul had all of a sudden become a good guy and repented. No. Simply the fact that the de demon harassing, terrorizing Saul could not stand to hear David worshiping and praising God. Do you get it? Powerful tool that God has given us to resist the devil. You're probably going to get a lot farther with that than you would by singing Play That Funky Music, White Boy. I enjoyed it. thought it was funny. Second Chronicles 2020. Jehoshaphat, getting ready to lead the armies of Israel into battle. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he had appointed those who should sing to the Lord. You might say, oh, he gathered all the archers and the spearmen and so forth with their shields. Nope. He gathered all those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. Now think of it in the natural. 
if you're going to bring musicians into battle, are you going to put them in the front? What happened to all the musicians? They don't play no more. They don't have any weapons. They're not warriors. They're not fighters. Put them in the front? What is this all about? And who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Or something like that. And so, when they began to sing and to praise, nothing about bows and arrows, swords, spears. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had, convened, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. The people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when they sent the worship team, if you will, or the temple musicians and singers out in front of the army, it so freaked out all the demons in these people that they turned on each other and killed each other. Do we need any more biblical evidence that worship is a powerful tool in resisting the devil? I think not. Conversely, although I'm not a teetotaler when it comes to secular music, I do believe a certain amount of discernment and wisdom should be exercised because even as God's music has great power, God created all music. And just like everything else, whether it's music or art or cabinet making or whatever it might be, all of those things can be used to glorify God. But they can also be used as tools of the enemy to lead entire generations astray. Look at the 1960s, the era of psychedelic music, psychedelic drugs, love, sex, rock and roll, and all of that. What was the, the motor or the engine that drove all of that? Rock music. And I love rock music, but Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, and on and on it goes, and they all died at the age of 28 years old. The devil used them up quick and put them away. And that's what he does. Took a little longer for Elvis. He made it up to what, like 40? That's how the devil works. God will bless your life. It may not always be in ways that are tangible to the natural world. But God's blessings are like organic food and natural herbal remedies. They don't have bad side effects. All the chemicals that we take into our bodies, sometimes we have to. We live in a fallen world. Our bodies are degrading. But every man-made chemical, drug, supplement, you name it, always has a negative side effect. Well, the devil has his quote, ways of, quote, blessing people too. But they have horrible negative side effects like death and destruction. And so sometimes Christians look at people in the world 
and they complain or they whine or they're jealous. Man, I've tried so hard to be good and follow God and obey God and do the right thing, and I have nothing to show for it. Really? How about eternal riches and glory with God? Eternal life, living in paradise forever with the creator of all things. I don't have anything to show for it. Really? You better let the Holy Spirit search your heart. You better get back in the Word and see what God has done for you and what He's given you. And you should take pity on those in the world who have, as Jesus said, gained the whole world but lost their own soul. What does it profit a man? What is the benefit of gaining the whole world if you lose your own soul? As we move on here in verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. Or, one translation reads, standing firm in your faith. You are my rock, on you will I stand. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken, never be moved. A shaky faith, folks, is an unsafe faith. Anytime someone spends more time, anyone who spends more time reading the latest popular so-called Christian book or watching all the popular TV preachers than reading their Bible and sitting under the teaching of a local, reliable, biblically sound pastor is probably, frankly, on shaky ground. And I've had conversations more than once. I forget who it was. Somebody and I recently were talking about this. It might have been my friend Brian Davis. But we were talking about the fact how people will saturate themselves all, all day long with Christian radio, Christian TV, and so forth. The only problem is everybody who comes on has a different slant, a different doctrine, a different message, often contradictory. And so you get so saturated with all this, you don't know what you believe anymore. Sad how the enemy can use something that on the surface would seem to be a good thing. Christian TV, absolutely. Christian radio, you bet. But if you're listening to 10 or 15 or 20 or 30, 40 different doctrines, you're not going to know what you believe. You will know what you believe if you stay in the Word of God and you're a Berean and you make sure that wherever you go to church, you're sitting under sound teaching and you're checking it and measuring it against the Scriptures. Oh, wow, this is so cool. This guy came up with this new doctrine. It's not even in the Bible. It's so new. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? Jesus calling. Just saying. Just saying. Ephesians 4.11. And he, gave, he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or a mature. We'll never be completely perfect in this life, but we can grow and mature spiritually to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How many are almost there? I'm almost like Jesus. Maybe I'm kind of like Jesus, a little bit. It's a lifelong pursuit. That's why 
living your life with a shaky faith, an ungrounded faith, an occasional faith, you pray when you're in trouble, probably isn't going to cut it. Verse 14. Wow. I've seen this. I've been a believer since I was a preschooler. Been involved in ministry since I was 18 years old. Man, that 10 years has gone by fast. <laughs> and I've seen so much of this. Traveled all over the world, singing, preaching the gospel, every kind of church you can think of. I don't think we ever played in a Mormon church but, or a kingdom hall, but most every other kind, including Catholic, Episcopalian, you name it. That we should no longer be children. What do children, spiritual children, look like as opposed to a perfect man, a mature man, a mature woman in the faith? Tossed to and fro. Hello. That's the nature of the church today. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. God's going to come in like a mighty rushing wind. He's going to fill your teeth with gold. He's going to fill your wallet with gold. I could get down and get funky, couldn't I? And I'd go straight to hell. Because that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. Tossed about, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. I grew up in the Foursquare Church, Pentecostal Church. Chuck Smith was a Foursquare pastor before he started Calvary Chapel. And I loved that church. I was taught about Jesus in the Sunday school. I received Christ there. But as I got older, I began to travel, minister in all these different churches including the Pentecostal circles, Foursquare, Assembly of God, you name it. They were trying to imitate and replicate that which once was real. Instead of just sitting back and saying, God, you're in charge, do what you want to do. It doesn't have to be now like it was then. We don't have to all be speaking in tongues at the same time. We don't all have to be getting slain in the Spirit. God, what do you have for us now? And so what happened was, they couldn't recapture what they once had. God wasn't doing that. So they began to latch on any and every new movement that came down the pike. And if the new thing was laughing in the spirit. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Laugh in the spirit? I've been in big rooms full of people. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks. A lot of you here have lived sheltered lives. I've seen it all. Because any church that would invite us to come and sing and talk about Jesus, sure, we'd love to do that. And we'd tell them about Jesus. We'd tell them about God's love. We'd tell them about how to get saved. But we had to watch some pretty weird stuff in the process. When you're not rooted and grounded in the truth of God's Word, when you're not operating under the true anointing of being able to discern truth from error, when you're not being moved and led and directed by your emotions and your feelings, You won't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Yeah, I used to go to that Calvary Chapel East. But then I found out it's okay to be gay. God loves me just the way I am. I don't have to change. 
It's okay to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend when I'm not married. God understands. He made me. He knows my desires and my passions. How could God get mad at me for doing something that he made me to do? You see how it works? Yeah, I don't go there anymore. They're just a bunch of judgmental, hypocritical, legalistic. We're so legalistic. Woo-woo! <laughs> Pastor has a ponytail. Man, that's legalistic. This week he does anyway. Tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Does that sound like somebody who's living a stable life to you in Christ? By trickery of men. Wow. Did you see that? Man. That was amazing. Yeah, so is David Copperfield. So is Penn and Teller. The trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I wish I had time to tell you all the stuff I've seen. But I don't. And it's getting late. We've got to have communion still. But I got a little, it's a little longer today, so hang in there. That way you'll be nice and hungry for your spaghetti. What's the matter for you? You don't like my Italian imitation? Oh, well. Luke 6, 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. How do we hear the sayings of Jesus? Jesus calling. That's how you hear the sayings of Jesus. Not what you heard after you ate pizza at midnight and drank two Diet Cokes. Wow, I heard the Lord. <laughs> Here he comes again. Remember Rez Skelton? He used to crack himself up all the time. I don't know if anybody else cracked up. Chris Rivera did. Chris Rivera, before he got right with God, used to worship Rez Skelton. And uh, Marcel Marceau. Because Chris has been a professional mime. True story. Guy's got quite a resume. Okay. I got to shake myself out of this. I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house. In the New Testament, it talks about us being built up together as a spiritual house under the Lord. We build our individual houses. We build our house together as the body of Christ. Man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Not shallow, flaky, achy breaky Christianity. Digging deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. There's no stability there, is there? Boy, wouldn't it be sad you build this big, beautiful house, but you didn't lay the foundation, the whole thing comes crumbling down. Better to have a small house, right? On a firm foundation than to have a big, huge house with no foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. Can you imagine working, 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 building, building, building. You stand back. 
Ah, oh, finished at last. Wouldn't that be extremely disheartening? Sad. And you have no house. No place to dwell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, if we tie this into the spiritual, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about, he who comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. It's not enough to just hear. The devil and his demons have been hearing the word of God for a long time. It's not going to save them. A lot of people have been hearing the word of God for a long time. It's not going to save them unless they obey it, unless they do it. 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, Paul says, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. He's talking about ministry. He'll go to one place, he'll lay a foundation for the local people, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Then another guy will come along, like Apollos or someone else, and they'll build on it. They'll continue teaching the, the people the word of God and building up the church. Another uh, builds it. But e let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's not Rick Warren, not Joel Osteen, not Sarah Young, not even Billy Graham, a great man of God, one of the greatest in our lifetimes to be sure. But our foundation is Jesus Christ and Him only. The building blocks of our faith, and I'll try to Break this down as simply and concisely as possible. One, it has to begin with being born again, salvation, confession, and repentance. You can't skip any of the steps. Romans 10, 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means master. When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you're confessing that Jesus Christ is, is now going to be my master, my Lord. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow his word. I'm going to do what he tells me to do and go where he tells me to go. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, a lot of people have just done it as an outward thing. Uh, an emotional thing just got trumped up at the moment and everybody else was doing it. They went to a youth camp, youth retreat. All the kids are going forward. Some of them are sincere. I was with a lot of those kids in the 70s who went forward. I went forward. We meant business. But not everybody does. You got to believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead. Oh, that doesn't matter because Jesus is really cool. Yes, it does matter. If he isn't risen, he's the biggest fake and phony that ever came down the pike. And you shouldn't want to have anything to do with him. But if he is risen, and he is, then he is the Lord, and you should submit your life to him. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the first building block, or that's the foundation, really, the foundation of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 2, Acts 21, 41 through 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in these four things, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Notice the word again, steadfast. 
We touched on that word at the very beginning. Steadfast. Noah Webster. Steadfast means fast, fixed, firm, firmly fixed or established. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken, never be moved. You are the rock of my salvation, firmly fixed or established, constant, firm, resolute, not fickle or wavering. That is steadfast. They continued steadfastly. Let's read this a different way. 3,000 souls were added to them and once in a while they got together and talked about the Bible. And a couple times a year they might have a little fellowship meeting, you know, over some tacos. And then if uh, they were in the mood, they'd pray. Does that work here? Steadfastly, fast, fixed, firm, firmly fixed or established, constant, firm, resolute, not fickle or wavering. Jesus said, narrow is the gate, few that be that enter therein. Narrow is the path that leads to heaven. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Few there be that find it. Without being overly legalistic, the people that you could genuinely identify as being on the right path would be those that are steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. The fellowship but I don't like those people. Well, they don't like you either, but go anyway. I'm going to go to this church because they don't like me over there. You're not going to find out when you get to the next church. They don't like you either. You know I'm being somewhat facetious, but how ridiculous is it? Somebody gave me a dirty look. I'll never go back there again. Really? Is that the first time anybody's ever given you a dirty look? No, and it won't be the last time. You're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead a blessing so that you can be blessed. God's giving you an opportunity to rise above and to be like Jesus, but instead you want to tuck tail and run. Plus they have free coffee over here and free donuts. I can't think of a better reason to go to a church than free coffee and free donuts, can you? Ah, you better be thankful I'm running out of time. <laughs> Steadfast. All right, let's try to wrap this up in the next couple hours I'm kidding or am I one what do we see here four things that they were steadfast in the apostles doctrine what is that the word of God in particular the New Testament but also the Old Testament the apostles doctrine was being formulated even as they were gathering together the teachings of the apostles which were and are the inspired word of God Two, fellowship Christianity, contrary to what some people believe, is not a game of solitaire. It's a contact sport. But I don't want to be in contact with anybody. Well, then you have a problem. Because you're going to be with them in eternity. That's a long time. Why not start getting to know them and loving them now? They were dedicated, steadfast, to apostles, doctrine, fellowship. Paul writes, I keep wanting to say it's in Hebrews. I could be wrong. I don't know why. I always get this verse mixed up. But he says, Do not forsake the gathering or the assembling together of saints as some are in the manner of doing. So already in the first century, people were starting to not go to church. Paul says, Don't do that. And he said, All the more as you see the day, big D, approaching the day of the Lord. Paul says, The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more important it's going to be to be together. 
the fellowship. You can make any argument you want to make, but I'm convinced that a steadfast faith includes regular, ongoing, consistent fellowship with like-minded, committed believers. Three, the breaking of bread. First and foremost, communion, which we're going to partake of today, the Lord's Supper, not for religious purposes, but as an ongoing reminder of our need for a Savior and the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Secondarily, along with that breaking of bread, koinonia, communion, it means sharing or having all things in common. It ties right in with fellowship. It goes hand in hand. Fellowship is more than just seeing each other on Sunday mornings going in and out of church. It involves interaction throughout the week. Koinonia groups, men's prayer, women's Bible study, sharing meals together, going out to lunch, spending time together. Acts 2.46, so continuing daily, we keep struggling, mourning, whatever word you want to use, or the fact that we can't get very many people to come out for a Thursday night Bible study. These people were meeting daily, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Today, people compartmentalize. Their church life, for most people, consists of Sunday morning. Then they have their social life, which is probably a whole different group of people because you would never want the people on Sunday to see what you're doing on Saturday night. And then you've got your work, relationships, neighborhood, and never the twain shall meet. If we really want to be like the early church, we need to be involved in each other's lives on more than just Sunday morning. And I believe that would be God's will. The Bible says it. But a lot of people can't extricate themselves from those friendships and relationships they've already made, whether they are beneficial or profitable or not. And that includes family. Sometimes it's not necessarily beneficial or profitable to spend a lot of time with your biological family. I'm not talking about this cult type of thing where you reject them, you have nothing to do with them, you cut yourself off. But if you have family members that don't know God and if they're antagonistic toward God, how long can you be around them before you start to really get uncomfortable? I've said this before and I'll say it again and maybe you don't agree with me. Some people we have to love from a distance. Because if you get too close to them, you find it very hard to love them. And God doesn't want you to hate them. He wants you to love them. And if you have to distance yourself to do that, then I recommend you do it. Prayers. So the fellowship, breaking of bread, apostles' doctrine, and finally prayers. We've already talked about prayer, importance of prayer. Staying in constant communication with God. Not just when we're in trouble. Not just when we don't have anything else to do. Not only sharing our hearts with Him, but listening to what He has to say to us. It's always a good idea to have a Bible close by because our most reliable source from hearing His voice is His own Word, the Scriptures. Finally, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One of the things that helps us to remain steadfast in our faith and resist the devil is knowing that we're not alone. Not just that God is with us, although that's more important than anything else, obviously, that God is with us, but that we have brothers and sisters all over the world who are engaging in the, daily in the same struggles, the same spiritual warfare that every true believer experiences on a daily basis. We are not alone. The devil wants to isolate you. 
Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody else is going through what I'm going through. Nobody else has gone through what I'm going through. They don't understand. That's a lie from the devil. We're going through the same things that our brotherhood all over the world is going through. Every time we're tempted to say or to think, maybe none of this is real. Maybe the mockers and scoffers are actually right. Maybe I'm wasting my time with this whole God thing. But then I begin to think about the amazing, incredible men and women of God who have gone before me in history's past. And I say, you know what? They knew it. They believed it. And they were some of the geniuses of their time. They weren't irrational. They weren't illogical. They weren't unintelligent. And I know there's more to being a Christian than the intellectual aspect. But the Holy Spirit will remind us that intelligent, rational, level-headed men and women all over the world have endured the most horrific suffering for Christ. Why? Because they know that they know that they know. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Nobody would go through what Christians have gone through for the past 2,000 years for a lie. Somebody somewhere along the way would have figured it out, don't you think? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one true living God. He's the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this study. Help us now, Lord. We, we just have short time remaining, but we want to honor you with communion, with partaking of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And God, we now, as we, as we get ready to sing our final song and people will begin to come and, and receive their communion elements, that you would just pour out your Spirit upon us, help us to examine our hearts, to make sure, Lord, that we come in a worthy manner. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts and expose to us anything that we need to do to get right with you today, any unconfessed sin, any offenses, anything at all. And we just pray that we could celebrate the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior with true, sincere hearts, washed in the blood of the Lamb, coming before you in holiness and righteousness, not of our own making, but your holiness and your righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.